Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. It may surprise you that as long as humanity has done what it thought was best for itself, it has ended up with a mess. It has ended up with brokenness, with a society that doesn't know how to function. And everybody wants to be a progressive. Everybody wants to be a liberal. My question is, what are we progressing to? What's your aim? What's your goal? Where are we going? And as many times as the world and humanity has relied on its own wisdom, we've ended up with a mess. And it's into that mess that Jesus came to bring true hope true freedom, true progress to our lives and to our societies. And so we rely not on human wisdom. We rely not on our own sufficiency. Paul says our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it is of Jesus. And this mess also happens in the church. As long as the church relies on its own thinking and its own human wisdom and own fleshly ways of approaching the gospel, as long as we make the Bible, I've left my Bible down there, but as long as we make the Bible about us, we end up messing things up. And one of the churches that did this was the church in Corinth. And that's why we love this book, because it gives us such great instruction of where we're actually progressing to. The church of Corinth had made a mess because they were wowed by the philosophy of their culture. They were swept up by every new philosophy and way of thinking, and they, they prided themselves on how progressive they were. And they began to, uh, in that time, as, as the Greek influence spread in the, in the world at that time, and Hellenism became the dominating culture of that region, they admired the, the, the human wisdom and the intellectual progress of the Greeks. And so the church, rather than standing on the simplicity of the gospel and in what Jesus had done for them, even though it sounds like foolishness to the world, they said, no, 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 we've got to be smart like the Greeks. We, we, this philosopher teaches this. And what they started to teach was that the more you grow in the special revelation and the special knowledge and, and you become approved and you, and you become really religious and you become, you know, asceticism, that severe bodily discipline and religious piety, the more we're able to do this, the more we will distinguish ourselves from all other Christians. We're greater than them. And this just opened up a double door to pride. And all of a sudden, they were prideful. And they took their stand on earthly heroes. They wanted the, the well-spoken orators of the day. They wanted the ones that could wow the crowds with great speech. And in comes Paul. Apparently, he was pretty short. And apparently, he didn't speak really well, believe it or not. They actually said this about him. His letters are weighty and full of authority. But when he's here, it's like, is that it? Is that Paul? Is this the guy that's been giving us all this instruction and, and correcting us where we're wrong? And so they started to reject Paul. But they weren't really rejecting Paul. They were rejecting the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. And so there's a series of letters going back and forth, and Paul begins to write to them about how they can truly be the church in a mad world. 
how they can truly be on mission in a mad world. And in 2 Corinthians, in, which was probably about his fifth letter, um, but, but in that letter he writes in 2 Corinthians uh, 11 verse 3, he writes this. He has a fear for the church. And this is his fear. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, sometimes the devil doesn't want to push you over backwards. He wants to push you over forwards. Sometimes he isn't trying to get you to slide back into sin, back into alcoholism, back into taking drugs, back into sinful habits. But he's actually pushing you forward into being religious and into being super devoted and super proud of yourself and taking your stand on visions you claim you've seen, sensuously puffed up by pride and judging others all along. He'll do that. He'll use your momentum against you. Anything to take you away from the simplicity of the gospel, that it's not about us, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. And he says, I'm worried about you, church, that all of a sudden you're going to move away from that simplicity. So the gospel, the message of, of the Bible really isn't a complicated mess of rules and regulations and, and, and principles and morals. And, you know, it's not all of that. At, at the center, it is news. It is news about what Jesus has done for you. And that's the simplicity that God wants us to hold on to. That's where our faith lies. It doesn't rely on human ingenuity, but on the grace of God that enables it. And this single word is what changes lives. You need to know today that even if you think, I don't know if I have what it takes, none of us do. But by the grace of God, we get to be on mission in a mad world. And this is what God does in our lives. The Bible doesn't allow us earthly heroes. It doesn't play that game. If you've read the Bible and you thought, oh, you know, I, I need to be like Abraham. I need to be like Moses. I need to be like Paul. I need to be. If you read their stories, all of them messed up in major ways. The Bible shows us their humanity and their, and their failures so that it won't allow us to make idols out of examples in the Bible. And to teach us that there is only one hero in the Bible, and that hero is Jesus. And how each of those people, as, as flawed as they were, and as much as they failed, discovered a unique adventure of faith. That God could take your situation, and, and that is valid for every single person in this place today. I don't care what you've done in life. If you will trust Jesus today, you will discover a unique adventure of faith, a unique story and a unique calling that God designed for you before the foundations of the earth. He knew you would be alive, and He knew what He would do through your life. And we get to take that up. We get to participate in that and be on mission together. But the church of Corinth were missing it because they were rejecting that grace. And they had decided that they would do it in their own strength. And their teachers were encouraging them in this. And so they started rejecting Paul's leadership and the gospel. They started complicating the message of the Bible and the message of Paul and the, and the preaching of the apostles. And they started saying, uh, you know, that it's, it's all about this and it's all about that. And they started losing their way, complicating it all together. Their view on relationships took a knock. Their understanding of the sanctity 
and the purpose and the beauty of sex, which is why we did a series on sex in this, all of a sudden became skewed. Their understanding of devotion, their, their relationship with money and what it looks like to live faithfully all became a mess because they were becoming prideful about their religious philosophical views as opposed to trusting in Jesus. And many of us are the same today. Many of us read the Bible and we cut out the parts that we don't like. We just ignore. We don't, we're not surrendered. We're not humble. We're not, we're not coming to the Scriptures, coming to Jesus and saying, teach me, Jesus. We'll say, well, Jesus, you know, I'll let you speak into some of these areas of my life, but not the rest. And again, in the book of Colossians 2, it actually speaks about this. Many people think that that means, well, I'm, I'm going to listen to the Bible up to a point. There's two ways we do this. I'm going to listen to the Bible up to a point. But then when the point where it tells me I need to stop doing some things that I've been doing that are wrong, because that's not God's best for my life or for my future or for my family, I'm going to ignore that. I'll, I'll, I'll trust Jesus to save me, but not to lead me. That's one way. But another way that we do this is that we actually read the Bible up to the point where it tells us that we are all saved by the grace of God and not by works so that no one can boast, but that it is completely of God. It's a gift that we receive and we rest in. We actually wrestle with that more than the stuff that we know we shouldn't be doing. In other words, as hard as it is for us to stop sinning, it's harder for us to receive grace. Because at the end of the day, we would rather have our own dignity and say, well, I did it. We'd even prefer sometimes if God punished us for our sins, because at least that way we feel justified. Yep, I'm going through trouble in life. It's because I sinned. This is right. And at least I'm paying for what I did wrong. It gives us that sense of, of dignity. But what the gospel does is it takes that away. That's why it's death to self. It says, no, it's not because you're good enough. It's not because you've worked hard enough. It's not because you've been religious enough. It's not because you came to church enough times. It's because God loves you and has graced you. Oh, you can be blessed today, but I don't deserve it. We know that already. It doesn't prevent God from blessing you. Oh, God can't heal me because I haven't prayed enough. You're not earning your healing. You're not earning your, God's favor. That is the, this is not a transactional relationship. This is a covenant based on the grace of God. And the, and, the, and the people in Corinth had lost sight of this. And so they were filled with pride. The problem with trying to follow the law, there's a greater danger than actually having a measure of success. And that's when you become so good at being so pious in certain areas that the heart becomes rotten. So yes, you're praying five times a day. Yes, you're giving your tithe to the church. Yes, you're, you're, you're maybe helping the poor. Yes, you're coming to church every Sunday, whatever it might be. But on the inside, you're prideful. And Jesus spoke about religious people like that, and he said they're like whitewashed tombs, which is a, a powerful image. They're nice and clean and sparkly on the outside. And Jesus, these are Jesus' words. But on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones. That's not what God wants for us. He wants to transform us from the inside out. Something genuine. Something. So, so here's good news for all of our visitors today. We don't expect you to pretend to be Christian because you've come here. 
We don't expect you to act like you've got everything together because you're here. We can be authentic and we can be real because the gospel takes us on a journey. Because we know that even where we, we are here today, it doesn't mean that's where we're going to stay. Jesus is going to take us and transform us. And this, is, this, is, this can only happen as we surrender ourselves to Jesus. That's why in James 4 verse 6 it says, but he gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This morning, why don't we just make a decision in our own hearts one more time? To say, God, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's best for my life. Every time I w operate by my own wisdom, I end up making a mess of things. But instead, God, I'm going to trust you. And God does something amazing in that, is that he gives us freedom. And there's this contradictory idea in Scripture that I want to talk about today, how we can simultaneously be both slave and free. The title of my message today is Slaves to Freedom. Slaves to Freedom. What does true freedom look like? When we come to truly understand the grace of God, we find ourselves in these two seemingly contradictory positions that seem to contradict, but in the context of the gospel are actually complementary. How we can be absolute, absolutely free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, while at the same time being slaves or servants to righteousness. How can we be both slave and free? I want to read a quick bit of scripture here, Acts 16, 23. I'm going to read through to verse 34, so I'm just going to read the whole thing and, and we'll come back to it. Uh, Acts 16, if you have your Bibles, and then I'll get into, we're in 1 Corinthians 9 today, and, um, and this is going to bless you. Acts 16, 23, it says, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, these disciples, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, the deepest part of the prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do? That's what people wonder. How good do I have to be? How much do I have to work? How often do I have to go to church? Paul answers, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was, and were, he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up out of his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This amazing miracle that happens where an entire family is saved because of the grace of God. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to share a few thoughts on this before we close today. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, we just want to thank you this morning that it's your voice that ultimately speaks to us from the scriptures today. I want to thank you, God, that it's your presence that is felt now, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can truly come to stand before you, to meet you, to, to, to hear you, and not a religious service, not just some program that we've been signed up for, but, but God, that we can actually hear you today. Thank you that you speak to every heart and impress on us the mission that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So let's quickly do a, a quick survey here this, this morning. How many of you enjoy waking up early? Special, special people. <laughs> Called of God. I'll never forget when, when uh, Julian, sitting over there, Julian's such a devoted guy. He always gets up early in the morning to pray. And I remember he was encouraging our worship team. And he messaged our worship team a scripture that said, Jesus woke up early in the morning to pray. And then one of the band members replied, but circled Jesus. <laughs> like, yes, Jesus woke up early to pray. Few of us enjoy waking up early. I remember my brother, when we were growing up, my brother was one of those that slept like a rock. And waking him up was like trying to raise the dead. And I remember every single Sunday for church, I'd go into his room and I'd wake him up and I'd, and I'd kind of shake him. And I'd look at him and I'd say, Nick, we have to get, go to church wake up, get ready. He's about seven years younger than me. Um, and I'd shake him. Nick, wake up. Are you awake? He'd look at me. He'd nod, you know, he'd acknowledge me. And I'd go and get dressed. I'd come back like 15 minutes later. He's fast asleep again. I'd shake him again. I'm like, Nick, we are going to be late. You need to get up. Okay. Okay. I'm up. He'd even sit up. And then I leave. I come back 15 minutes later. He's fast asleep again. Once I even dragged him off the bed. I got him by the feet and I dragged him off the bed after like the second time of trying to wake him. And I left. I'm like, are you awake? I left. I came back. He was cuddling his blanket on the floor, fast asleep again. So a few of us like waking up early. It's difficult for us often to do that, except on the days that you're going on holiday, except when you're going to go play a round of golf, except when you've got something exciting happening that day. Then it's like 4.30. You're like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do this right? That's what freedom looks like. That's what freedom does to us. When we have to get up early, we don't want to. That's how the law works. That's why the Bible is not a rule book. Because if I tell you, you have to do it, then you don't want to. Even if it's something that you were going to do. If I tell you that this week, every single one of you better shower every day. You probably were planning on that, hopefully, but because I said it, you're like, you can't tell me what to do. I'll shower once this week, you know? And so the Bible says that the strength of sin is in the law. The strength of sin. So it stirs up rebellion. How do you know that you're a sinner? Because when I tell you the right thing to do, you instantly want to do the opposite. That's how you know you're a sinner. That's how you know you need Jesus. And so our hope isn't in the law. Our hope isn't in those things. But when I tell you, guess what? There's running water at your house, and that shower is going to be beautiful and warm, and, and you're going to be able to shower every day. You're like, hey, I might even shower twice. You know why? Because I'm free to do it. And so the gospel gives us freedom, but as it frees us, it changes us. And so all of a sudden, the, all the things that we felt 
that we would have rebelled against, we actually want to do, even if that means waking up early. Ancient Greece came up with this unique concept of citizen soldiers known as hoplites. These weren't conscripted, paid armies that fought simply because they were hired hands, but soldiers that fought because they believed in the reason for the fight, because they were free. And these hoplite ancient Greek soldiers had these round shields, and oftentimes on their shields, they would depict elements of their life at home, the fields that they're able to plow and, and their families and their communities and, and the things that they value. And then when they went into battle, they weren't forced into battle. They weren't commanded into battle. They chose to go into battle because they believed in the fight. They believed in what they were fighting for. And in the same way, God gives us freedom but as we discover that freedom, we discover the values of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, nobody has to tell us to be a part of the fight. We sign up for it because we know what we're fighting for. We're on mission in a mad world because we love people, because we believe in God's heart for people. We give towards the church because we believe in building the kingdom together. We believe in a better day and in a better society and in sharing hope. And so nobody has to tell us, hey, you should, you should, you should. Instead, we sign up as citizen soldiers, free to fight. And those soldiers in ancient Greece resisted two of the biggest attacks on the dominating military force of that time in, in, in the form of the Persians. At the Battle of Marathon and the Battle of Thermopylae, they stood strong against the most powerful military force in the world, the Persian Empire, because they believed in what they were fighting for. That is what God gives us, freedom. And the question is, what do we do with freedom? What do we do with the freedom that God has given us? Do we spend it on ourselves? Do we use it for every kind of vice and every kind of liberty and every kind of comfort and every type of, type of uh, preference. This is the problem in a world that is, as it seems like countries that the more they prosper, the more selfish they become because we make it about ourselves. You want to find selfless people that are willing to, to give everything for others. The most, some of the most joyful, generous people, hospitable people I have ever met have been in the most destitute of places because they're not living for themselves. So what do we do with our freedom, the freedom that God has given us? There's something so powerful about men and women who fight compelled by their freedom. And this is why God gives it to us. If you're not able to live for anyone but yourself, you're not truly free. If the only thing that consumes you is your preference, then I tell you now, you have not yet begun to live. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive, and we don't really trust that to be true. But, yeah, I can see the sentiment there. Sounds good, but really I want a lot of things. <laughs> we never trust God enough to take him at his word and to allow him to move us into this area. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, 
Paul starts by addressing one of the common accusations, one of the most common accusations that people make against the church and against pastors. Maybe some of you here have made that same accusation, and it's okay. We love you and we forgive you. But one of the first accusations that people make against the church when they've decided in their own hearts that they want to live for themselves is that they say that the church is all about money. And the pastor's just up there because he wants money. Because that gives you a, uh, you know, you can get off free card. Oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't go to churches because they're just about money. So, so, but what about honoring God in your own life? I mean, do we just skip that whole part? I had somebody send me a message. I, uh, and I share this just because it's stuff that happens to me weekly, uh, seems like. But I had somebody send me a message. I opened up a page on Facebook uh, because my friends on my normal page is, is almost full. And I thought that would be a good place to post our sermons from church and get the spread a little wider. So I just opened up a page. But I never really, you know, I never really checked the messages and everything that comes in there. It's kind of brand new and it was just sitting there. And somebody that was a part of my youth ministry years and years and years ago, in fact, when I saw his photo, I couldn't even remember his name. He sent me a message. And all, and all the message said, and I only saw it this past week, was, you know, so glad to see that it's going well with you. There was no questions or no, you know, pastoral work involved there. It was just a, a quick message. And, and I didn't see it, so I didn't respond. And then I only saw this follow-up message he sent a few months later, where he basically wrote a long thing about he hopes that I can live with myself, because I didn't reply to his message, he's calling BS on church and pastors and the gospel and the whole Bible, and he hopes that I can live with the fact that I have driven someone away from God. And you know, he blocked me so I couldn't respond, which is probably a good thing, but if me not responding to your Facebook message is going to drive you away from God, I sincerely doubt whether you were with God to begin with, right? But people like to do that. Why? It gives them a sense of justification. I don't need to go to church because that, you know, they're all fake. They're all about money. They're all about this. They're all about that. It's got no reflection on the actual pastor or the actual church. It's actually got a reflection on what you have decided in your heart to do. And this is what they did with Paul. So the first thing they say about Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, they say, mm, he's about money. That's what he's about. He's just going around leading these churches. We know he started this church, but now he's just all about money. And so Paul responds. I'll just read you his response real quick. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law in the Old Testament say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So he says this, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, 
we have not made use of this right, he says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so in essence, Paul says, it is our right. We are free as those apostles and the pastors and those working in full-time We are free to earn a living by the gospel. We are free to be able to earn a wage for the work that we do. This is something God even instituted in the Old Testament, even for the oxen. If they were churning out the grain, don't muzzle them. Let them eat from the work that they are doing. And in the same way, and this is just a blanket helpful thing, and this is what is so great about just going through every chapter in the Bible is that we can't dodge stuff. It's all there. For anybody who's ever said, oh, that pastor shouldn't be earning a living. Well, Jesus said he should. So that excuse of yours that you've been making to no longer come to church is now invalid. It's now invalid. Right? Everybody got that? What the pastor does with the finances and what the church does with the finances, we are called to give. We're called to be a part of it. But Paul goes a little bit further here. He says, it's my right. If I wanted to get married, like Peter is married, I could get married. Jesus allows that. If I wanted to earn a living from what the work that I do, it is my right. I am free for these things. Am I not free? But he says, but there's something greater. I have a greater purpose in my heart. My purpose isn't to see how much money I could make. My purpose isn't to see how many of my freedoms I can exploit. My purpose is to make myself a servant because that's what freedom has done in my heart. I am free. Hey, you are free. You can choose how to live. But when you experience that freedom, guess what it makes you want to do? It makes you want to serve God. It makes you want to be a part of something bigger. The grace of God leads us. The Bible tells us that the grace of God in the book of Titus that brings salvation to all men has appeared, teaching us to deny all unrighteousness and live godly in this wicked age. The grace of God teaches us what it means to really live. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You see, Paul's passion is for souls. It's for lives changed. And so he says, even if I need to forego something that would be rightfully mine in order to make an impact and make a difference, if I need to step apart from my preferences. And in fact, when he lived in Corinth for those 18 months, he made tents. The Apostle Paul made tents with his own hand so that nobody could accuse him of being in it for the money. He laid aside his right. He was free and a slave, a bond servant. He chose to give himself to others so that he may win some. Martin Luther said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian 
is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. This is what happens when you're a slave to freedom. At once, we can do as we please. But because God has changed our hearts, what we want to do is please God. What we want to do is help others. What we want to do is make a difference. We are no longer slaves of sin, but we are now, the Bible calls us slaves of righteousness. And I used to read that scripture and think, uh, that doesn't sound great, you know, still a slave. Can I tell you how hopeful it is? You know what happens when a slave runs away? I don't know because I don't have any, but apparently this is how it works. You catch them and bring them back when a slave runs away. So when you try and get away from sin in your life, sin pursues you, brings you back, and forces you to obey. The Bible says we're no longer slaves of sin. We're now slaves of righteousness. To me, that's hopeful. Because when I try and run away from my righteousness, when I try and run into a selfish life, God's grace brings me back and causes me to live a greater life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter says, live as people who are free. How do people who are free live? We don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but we live as servants of God. So let me end today by going back to Paul and Silas in the prison. They're sitting in the prison. They are imprisoned for preaching the gospel. They imprisoned for preaching things that were contrary to the customs and the laws of Rome as far as worshiping the emperor was concerned. And now they're put into the, to the depths, the deepest part of this prison, and they are shackled with chains. But you know, the goodness of God, it doesn't matter how, what your circumstance is. When you know the goodness of Jesus, they end up worshiping Jesus. In the middle of that prison, shackled, chained, in the inner part of the dungeon, they're still overwhelmed by His goodness. I feel like that's a word for somebody today. Whatever you feel shackled by, God's grace is with you. And they're worshiping and they're singing and, and everybody, even the jailer is listening. This is something different about these guys. They should be hating their lives right now. But you see, when you're free on the inside, it doesn't really matter how restricted you are on the outside. The worship is there. And so they're worshiping. Their hearts are gripped by the goodness of Jesus and the purpose of Christ. But many others in that prison are held captive. And in the same way, many of us are in times of our, our lives held captive by the law, held captive by all the things we feel we need to do in order to get ahead. But then there's an earthquake and the earth begins to shake and the chains that were on their hands and feet fall off and every one of the prison doors swings wide open. The moment I read about that earthquake, I think about when Jesus died on the cross. Because the Bible tells us that as he died there, the earth shook and even the graves opened up and people were seen, those that had died were seen raised to life, walking in the streets of Jerusalem. So the death of Jesus opens up our prison doors. Now, let me tell you, if I was Paul and Silas and I'm down there worshiping and all of a sudden my chains fall off and all of a sudden the prison doors open up, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Right, I'm out. I'm out. Cheers, everybody. Not these guys. They're free, but they have a greater purpose. 
They stick around. The jailer wakes up, sees the prison doors opened. Failure in the Roman government was equivalent to death. And many people in our city today have failed. And they feel like because they failed, the only wage that they will be able to pay in life is death, is destruction. In the same sense of hopelessness that this jailer had, the people of our city are living today. I failed. I've fallen short. God can't accept me. God can't love me. I can't live for anything bigger because I'm a slave to sin. And look at the prison doors. They've opened. I failed. I'd rather just end it. He takes out his sword to end his own life. Guess what? Paul hung around. Silas hung around. They didn't use their freedom to serve themselves. They immediately stopped the jailer. They say, do not harm yourself. They've got a good message to share with them. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. As a representative of heaven, Paul doesn't condemn this man. But he comes up to him and he declares, you too can be free. You too can live for something greater. This man falls down on his knees and he says, what must I do to be saved? He recognized how genuine the gospel was. Why? Because the two prisoners that could have run away, could have used their freedom to serve themselves, instead chose to love him chose to reach out to him, chose to share the good news with him. So Paul and Silas, they risk re-arrest, but they still choose to stick around. They spoke the word of the Lord. They preached the message of the, of the gospel, and this whole family gets baptized, and what they experience is joy. And that is our message, church. My question to you is, how will you use the freedom that God has given you? How will you use your time? How will you use your resources? How will you use your talents? How will you use your gifts to serve yourself, to try and create a better life for yourself, or to make a difference in a broken world? And this is how we are slaves to freedom. This is what gets me up in the morning, 4 a.m. Okay, not quite 4 a.m. 6 a.m. I'm up. Not because I have to, but because God has done something in my life that says what you're doing is valuable. It has worth. It has significance. It carries eternal value. How many of you here today want to live lives of eternal value? Come on. That's what God has for us. That's His grace this morning. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we pray?